0: We come to you, Lord, and thank you for your great goodness, your faithfulness, which is new every morning. And we thank you for that wonderful lesson that we learned from the the children, and it was such a delight that we should sit at their feet and take to heart the promise of the rainbow, of the God who preserves, of the God who keeps covenant, even with rebellious people. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing of a church with all of its variety and diversity. And we thank you in this past week, you have made your will known to us In the various appointments that have been made. Help us to see your greater purpose. In the people appointed. And the tasks that are ahead of us. And may we ever continue to be geared to grow. Not only in number. But in spirit. And in truth and in joy and in worship. And sacrificial service. Lord, the world in which we live is one where pessimism and low expectations seem to dominate our lives. The preoccupation with surviving in the midst of the recession, the insecurity of work and commitments, people who are burdened by debt, and overwhelmed by a sense of being locked into work constantly, simply to survive, may there be a real liberation within our hearts that whatever the legitimate commitments we have, that we can truly trust you and reorder our lives. We thank you for the way that you are continuing to guide your people and for the work in Cornerstone, for that sense of sharing together, covenanting to work, to give, using our gifts and seeing your grace overflow into people's lives. We think of the community of people in St. Mary's in Long Crendon and the appointment of a new vicar this Tuesday. May that prove to be a blessing, O Lord. And we thank you for your church which is so varied and diverse. And during this bank holiday weekend, we do pray that families and young people And friendships and opportunity to meet will be one that is stimulating and enriching. And now, Lord, our final prayers, we hear your word, is that you would come to us. Come again, Holy Spirit. Without you, we are dead. Apart from you we are cold and dull. We ask that you will fill the church which without your presence is but an empty shrine. And we ask again, Lord, that you will teach us to serve you and teach us to be loyal to one another and make our discipleship to be one that has bite and commitment and challenge that makes the difference. So, hear our prayers and lead us, we pray, as we come again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read from Colossians, which you'll find, there you are, the page number is in front of you. (coughs) Colossians chapter 1, and uh, verse 15 to 20. And then we're looking, and this is um, the beginning of our series in uh, Hebrews, Uh, and we're going to look at the first four verses as it's set out in the series. So, um, there is an obvious theme that you should pick uh, in the songs that we sing and in the theme that we have in these readings. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. Thinking again of the supremacy, the superiority, the centrality. Of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs, even the name Jesus. Well, we're going into the sermon early this evening, so keep your Bibles open. This new series will take us uh, quite a while to work, work through, and we're trying to pursue themes as they unfold in this book. For some people, the book of Hebrews is a a, a book that they might even uh, say, though not be particularly proud of, that it may be it's a book best avoided. Um, It assumes that the the readers know a great deal about the Old Testament. The Old Testament's a bit tricky. And um, it has... Very severe warnings that make uh, Christians feel uncomfortable. Can you lose your salvation? How secure are you if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ? There are many things that are tricky and and, uh, difficult. And then it deals with things like the law and the priesthood and angels and sacrifices All that sort of thing. Let's just have a quick uh, overview uh, of of the book. It should come in front of you, but if not, it's on your. uh, There it is now. I know it's too small. Need your binoculars for that. But it's on your notice sheet, so that's there. So uh, use uh, the notice sheet. But you see, this is just to have a quick uh, overview of the book of Hebrews. we don't know who the author is. Some people have speculated. We don't know. We don't need to. One thing we can say about this book is it gives us the superiority of Jesus Christ. In what sense? Well, he's superior in his person because he is uh, better than prophets and angels, even than the patriarchs of Moses and Abraham, than the Sabbath system and priests Even the ironic priesthood. Now, saying things like that don't mean much to us. But let's suppose for a moment you were talking to somebody whom I was uh, talking to a few months ago who is a very devout Roman Catholic. If you would ever even say or hint to them, priesthood is over, they would be mortally offended. For them it is of the very essence of their faith. It is the point of contact with God, the mediator through whom they uh, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, although we say this here, when the book of Hebrews was written, that was a big thing. It's a big thing, and of course, how does it apply to us today? And is, is a superior priest? He is greater than the earthly priesthood. Let put it like this, and you have the the old covenant. Uh, Animal sacrificial system and so forth. In the Old Testament, God's people had a very clear structure of the priesthood. In the coming of Jesus Christ, God's people now are a priesthood. You are priests. We are a kingdom of priests to our God. So we don't have a priesthood in that sense. We are. We have access to God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And the dynamics of that are very powerful in the book of Hebrews, particularly at given time the people were inclined to go back to the old system because, well, it was more structured and so forth. And Jesus is superior for life. And you have the various... uh, Uh, comments that you have there well that's just something for to keep and um, to think about as we um, start out uh, on this path in the book of Hebrews I'd like to say just three things um, uh, this evening that uh, not it it would be wrong to say well the sermon is just an introduction it's not it it stands secure in and of itself we're looking at uh, in particular these first four verses and at least these three things that will come out to us First of all, in all experiences, in all our experiences of life, Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient. And so, the writer wants to encourage God's people along this line. Look in, look in chapter 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. And in many times and in various ways. The variety of ways that God spoke. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He is sufficient. So, we could put it like this. Jesus is not only God's last word to us. He is the last word in himself. It isn't that God has spoken finally through Jesus. Jesus is God's last word to us. He is sufficient. The big challenge then in Hebrews is to make spiritual progress. In terms of our relationship to the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus. When we hit the problems and the difficulties in our lives. Because so much of our lives are a stop-start sort of uh, existence. Or we, we feel a bit miffed about this. Or we're not happy about that. And, and there's, there are periods of being incredibly unproductive. Jesus is sufficient. You may well be disappointed in God's people May I say to God's people may be disappointed in you, but Jesus is sufficient. He is. He is sufficient. So let's look at this subjectively. And I'd like to give four examples now of just trying to see what are the spiritual consequences, let's put it negatively with a positive application, and it's this, spiritual consequences of not receiving God's word or not thinking that the situations that we face, Jesus is not sufficient for that. I'm going to have to do it on my own. Uh, There are so many people who come to faith in Jesus Christ and then somehow slip back into living living out their own strength that you are living out the Christian life because you're working harder at it, rather than really trusting the Lord Jesus more. So the, these, these four things, first of all, there's the danger of drifting from the word. Just turn over uh, to chapter 2, just to see these themes. Just, we're not going to uh, look on them uh, in, in any detail. But here we are, we're in church tonight, and maybe we're already working out what we're going to do next week, and things like that. And it's so easy to... Allow God's word just to pass over us. But look, what does he say? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. This is what we're doing now, thank God that we are, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore or neglect so great a salvation? How shall we? So, you see, even as Christian people now, uh, yes, Jesus is sufficient. How do you know? Well, he tells us in his word. Yeah, but we drift from God's word. And it's, it's the classic thing. It's the sin of omission. It's the sin of not doing anything wrong, but simply not doing anything. Secondly, doubting God's word. Now, I'm sure there are situations that you find yourself in and you might say, I don't know. What does God say to me in this situation? What does he really say to me? Or does he say anything at all? Turn to chapter 7 and just verse 8. Sorry, it's chapter 3. Thank you, pardon it, 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 it's, it's there, isn't it? It's in front of you, yes. Well, uh, 3 in verse 7, there it is. So the Holy Spirit says, there is God's word in the power of the Spirit, today, 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 this is the point. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Oh, Christian people, we can do that. And I guess if, if you like me, then you, you know that there have been times when you've done that. As they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where our fathers tested and tried me for 40 years. And there's a whole generation that was lost for the covenant and the glory of God. And in verse 10, I was angry with this generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways Do you see that? That's the sort of thing. Learning from our history. And so, verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. It's a reference to today all the time. As it is called today, so that none of you may be, there it is, you see, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hardened. And then thirdly, there can be a sort of a, a heaviness, a dullness. Remember Jesus once saying to his disciples, are you so dull? He wasn't saying, are you stupid? He was saying, dull of hearing. Dull. See, chapter 5, just a little insight again. Uh, verse 11. It's a bit of a sting in the tail here, isn't there? Look, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. So I'm talking about being clever now. It, it, it is dullness towards God's Word. In fact, though by this time, at this time in your Christian life, in terms of the, the passing of time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary things of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You could, should be eating a big rump steak, but it's uh, baby's food. Because you're spiritual babes. Oh, it's a bit much, isn't it? But it is a consequence. Of this sluggishness, those three, if you like, are sins of, of omission. But the, thir- the fourth that I have is a sin of commission. You now it's the things that I do cumulatively as a result of these things that I haven't done. I am defying the word. Look at chapter twelve. Says in other words, you see, what all we're trying to do, just to illustrate, is: Is Jesus sufficient? Is He sufficient? Through His Word, in the power of the Spirit. Chapter 12 and verse 25. See to it. See this. This is now. It's 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 over to you. You see to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. This is the theme. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. How much indeed. So you get these things then that are building up. First of all it's just uh, a neglect. Sheer negligence. Just ignorance. Hardness. Sluggishness. Willfulness. And we need to be careful about that. That we can so easily drift. And become unprofitable. That's perhaps one of the negative themes um, in Hebrews. And it is a challenge to us. The second one is this, and perhaps a bit more positively then, is this, that if in all experiences Jesus is sufficient, then in time and in eternity, he is sovereign. He has the last word because he is the last word. He is the sovereign Lord. And so come back to uh, our, our reading, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And here it is. And we'll sing, we'll take this up in a song in a moment. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is sovereign, he's the sovereign Lord, and we worship and we adore him. What Hebrews does then is this it, it, it exalts and glorifies. And magnifies the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he did when he died as our sufficient and supreme sacrifice. So he is the essence of God. Just about a month ago some incredibly polite and um, very sincere Um, Jehovah Witnesses uh, came to the door Um, and well they said yes you know we we do acknowledge that Jesus is a prophet I just said to them you know we could talk here for a long time but I would like you to know just this one thing that I love Jesus and arguing and defending is not going to get us anywhere because he is my Lord in the language of Thomas and he's my God And for you just to say, well, that's an opinion, to me is offensive. Do you see what I mean? You can get into arguments. But if he is your sovereign Lord and you love him and you serve him, then that that makes the difference. That makes the difference. He's the essence of God. He's the radiance of his glory. John saw this, didn't he? John the Baptist. Do you remember? So he was a cousin of Jesus, and they could be pals, you know, we're family. And he comes for baptism. John's reaction says it all. He says, I, "I baptize you. I'm not even worthy to wash your feet," which was what the disciples were reluctant to do. John saw it. When I mean, you take off your sandals. I'm nothing, you're everything. I must decrease, you must increase. He saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And we need to see that. And perhaps that would give us a bigger edge to, to our worship and our service. And take away the drudgery of what it is to be church. Christ is to the Father what the rays of the Son are to the Son. You can't separate One is an expression of the other. He is the radiance of God's glory. Only Jesus could truthfully say, doubtless others have said the same, but only he could truthfully say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So just turn back to Colossians and just look at uh, Colossians 2 and verse 9. Just to see this again. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And what's the implication? And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. And when the kingdoms and the emperors of this world have crumbled, whether they're financial or whatever... He still is sovereign. He's the sovereign Lord. And that's the big theme, positively, in the book of Hebrews. And when we think about his awesome sovereignty, as it is in verse 3, it it, it brings together these three powerful themes that you have in what we call the Old Testament. The first is this. He's a prophet. Why do we say that? Well, look again in um, in, in verse 3. He sustains all things by his powerful word, his prophetic word, that for God to speak is for God to act. It's interesting, isn't it? If uh, Turn just back to um, Luke, Luke 24. It's not, it, it won't come up in, uh, on the PowerPoint. And, and I just came across this as I was just uh, thinking about this for a moment. We're talking about Jesus as a prophet. And you remember his resurrection appearance. And you remember how discouraged the disciples were. They really were struggling with this. Luke 24 and verse 19. And it's the road to Emmaus. Cleopas and his companion are walking along and they start talking as sometimes these things happen. And verse 17, he asked them, "What are you discussing as you walk along by the way?" They stood faces; they, they stood still, their faces downcast. One named Cleopas asked him, are you, "Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things?" Jesus wants to draw them. So what he wants to do to us: draw them. "Oh," they said, "about Jesus of Nazareth." They replied, "He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people." And then they say what the chief priests did, and well, well, now we had hoped he was going to do something, but he hasn't. And then they say, isn't this extraordinary? Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So, now what's our Lord's reply? Could be the same for us, couldn't it? Verse 25, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But who's this? Did not the Christ, Jesus, have to suffer these things and enter his glory? The radiance of his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained all of them. Of what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then... At the breaking of bread, they saw his radiance. He's a prophet. His powerful word. But he's a priest. He's a priest. And what does a priest do? Well, look in verse 3. He provides purification for sins. He purges our sins as if they were never there. That's what he does. Making purification for sins. Bringing grace And new opportunities. New horizons for his people. He is a priest. And all other priesthood find completion in Christ. And he's a king. He's a king. This phrase is a very powerful one. You see it in verse 3. After, not before after he had made purifications for sin as the priest, he sat down. I remember uh, when Prince Charles was um, made Prince of Wales in uh, Carnarvon Castle. I remember it well. And um, all the dignitaries there, the Druids, Welsh culture, and all this sort of thing. But it was only when finally, even though he had a crown, it was only when he sat down that he was instituted as the Prince of Wales and in a sense here is of course a greater prince and it's only when he sat down in the throne of glory that his principality of this whole world indeed the cosmos how does he do that? well of course you can't Separate now him as a prophet, what he said, as a priest, what he does, as a king, who he is. And from the cross, when he said, it's finished, he's prophet, priest, and king. Many people think you know, from the uh, Apostles' Creed that, he, that uh, from, the, from the cross when he pronounced uh, this word, and then he descended into hell, it says. Well, his descent into hell was on the cross. Taking on the sin of the world. Taking on the sin of the world. Then saying, it is finished. That's why he's sovereign. That's why he's sovereign. That's why the hymn writer is, is correct. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And now, heaven is open. And the sovereign king is reigning. That's what... The writer to the Hebrews wants to say. And finally, of course, and this is something that comes up so much and we'll we'll obviously pick up on it. In verse 4, he became so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He is superior in every way. Jesus Christ is superior. Angels are very important in Jewish religion. this is the theme uh, next Sunday and just just, uh, look at verse 5 or verse 6 and again when God brings his firstborn into the world he says let all God's angels worship him these mighty powerful beings worship him and cry holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts You cannot think of Christmas without thinking the angels had a busy time. They were everywhere, weren't they? And what were they doing? Looking at this new, new beginning in humanity. The perfect man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Glory to God in, in the heavens and on earth. Peace among men in whom his favor rests and so on. Angels worship Christ. They revere him and they obey him. And maybe uh, we should think about what is the role and ministry of angels in our lives. Perhaps the unseen companions. When sadly we say more so now, oh I was lucky. Or should we say I was blessed because I had a guardian angel. I didn't know. Maybe we need to be a bit more sensitive to angelic beings working At the behest of the sovereign Christ. But he's not only superior to angels. But a superior covenant. The covenant in the Old Testament. Is a very powerful thing. And yet there's a greater covenant. An eternal covenant. That doesn't need repetition. And this is to celebrate what Christ has done. And to remind us of his death. And so what we have finally. Let's look at this. Uh, Reference in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, just to see this and think that he is superior and the implications of it. Hebrews 10 and 19. What is the implication that Jesus Christ is superior in every way? What is it? Well, it's this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 19 since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus not by the blood of animals by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body as it was uh, uh, as he was crucified and since we have a great priest over the house of God the sovereign lord seated in heaven do you see it what's the implication let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And that's the good introduction now as we make the transition to the Lord's table. Let us draw near to God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly the hope we, fro- we profess for he who promised his faithful. And let us consider how, as, as God in Christ has brought us together, That we may spur one another on to love and good deeds and so forth. That's the implication. We come to Christ. We trust in Christ. We follow Christ. We obey Christ. And we receive his grace as we come like this. And in a moment, of course, as we come around the Lord's table. Jesus Christ is God's final word. His last word. His last word. And as we worship him now, we're going to take this up. In, in, our, in our theme, it'd be good if the group can um, uh, assemble. Just think of the sufficiency of this Jesus, whom we are worshipping. And think of him that he is the sovereign Lord over all creation as we do so. And think that he is superior as prophet, priest, and king. And he delights not in the formal ritual but in the sincere love of our hearts. Let's give that to him as we come to him.